let's look at the dysfunctions of doing. The dysfunctions of doing. So let's look at the first box up at the top of the tachometer there. The first box is entitled dysfunction. Because if you're doing the work of the ministry, you are, to whatever degree, then to whatever degree that is, you're that degree dysfunctional. Dysfunctional. So if you're doing the work of the ministry like this, you are dysfunctional. And the dysfunction of doing manifests into three major disasters. There are, again, just, just like there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens of reasons why you vacate the position of leadership. Here's your assignment. What are your reasons? And judge yourself rightly and make a change. Make a change. Become a leader that God needs. But there are, I'm just going to give you three, although there are dozens upon dozens of manifestations of the dysfunction of doing. Doing is dysfunctional. So what are those? Well, the first one is the loss of intimacy with God. The loss of intimacy with God is the first thing that goes because there isn't time for him anymore. And your frustration level is so high, so that's number one. I'll just give you three. Because I, I want to give you these three, though, so I, you can understand how critical this is for you to make a change, if you haven't understood that already. Loss of intimacy with God. C.S. Lewis, in his great classic, Mere Christianity, he said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from him. There is no such thing. God cannot give us happiness and peace. That's what we all want, happiness and peace. We, don't, we have anything but peace. That's been articulated until we make some changes. So he, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing, he said. No such thing. I ask pastors, I say, sir, when, it, when is your Sabbath? The one you tell me about. When is your Sabbath? When is your day off? When are you going to, how are you surviving without a Sabbath? You need one a week. Uh, Where's yours, sir? My client. Oh, don't worry. We, you know, we find time to, I didn't, I, I didn't ask you if you found time. You didn't tell me I needed to find time. You said have a Sabbath. God said have a Sabbath. When is your day off? Your calendar looks like every day is Monday. Every day is Monday. <laughs> you got, you got, I mean, obviously game day is Sunday, but then everything else is Monday. And, and, and pastors go in looking for trouble. You know, we're such adrenaline junkies that we walk in hoping we'll find some disaster that we can work on. When is your Sabbath? When is your day off? They don't have them. They don't have a day off. They don't have time. I, I say, you've got you've to have time off. I told, I told, uh, I've told many pastors. I said, you need to get alone with your spouse. When's the last time you guys got together? When was the last time you got together for an entire day? And here's the rule. You cannot talk about the ministry. It's off limits. Because your whole life is about that. You come home in the evening. You can't believe what these bozos did today. And then if you're not saying that, she's telling you what the bozos did today. And you say, I don't want to hear about it. Shut up can't take anymore. Stop it. 
And your kids are hearing that, and we wonder why they're not in ministry. They're smart enough to stay out, if that's the way it functions. So I say, Pastor, you cannot meet. You cannot. You have to spend a day together, do whatever you love to do, go back two decades and remember what you used to love to do when you were in love, and do it. And don't ever talk about the ministry the whole time. And one pastor called. He said, we've gotten together three times. Nothing to say. What do we talk about? I said, well, you're going to have to discover that on your own. You know? <laughs> but but that, that, that ha that's happened numerous times. So it's important that you, that you have time. And, and then, guys, you've got to air it out. You've got to air it out. You've got to, look, you've got to get off the treadmill of the ministry. You get out of there. That's when God can speak to you. That's when God can give you new insights, new visions, solutions, witty ideas, all the things you're praying for all the time, but you can't get them on the treadmill, running and running and running. You, you're not quiet. You're not alone with him. You're not hearing his still, small voice. You have, there's so much crisis and chaos, you can't hear his still, small voice. I know one pastor, they, they like to ride, and, and he and his wife liked to ride, and they went for a ride on the bike, and uh, they were heading down to a place they used to like to go, and uh, they described it to me. I said, well, then go there. Go there. Come on, let's test. Give it a test drive here. See what happened. So they went down, and they, they came to an intersection before they got to the place they were headed to. And he pulled over, and he said, I feel like we're supposed to go right here. And she said, I'm feeling the same thing. And they went right, and they went up the hill a ways, a little way, just a little ways. And there was a sign. And it was a property for sale, and it was, it was a property that they've been praying for and believing for for the youth, a retreat for the youth. Well, you're not going to see that on the treadmill. You're, God can't speak to you on the treadmill when you're, when you're just running and running and running. So intimacy with God, getting off the treadmill. Every day can't be Monday. Let's get with our, let's do what God said, him first, intimacy with him, our family second, and then we'll build a great work. We've got it flipped. Your ministry is an idolatrous relationship because it's more important than God. Air it out, get off the treadmill. People who work harder on the job, any job, than on themselves, burn out. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here just for another minute. But I want to, I wanna, God had to teach me this. Look, I, I'm telling you things that God, everything that I'm telling you, look, I'm an expert by this definition. Okay, I've made every mistake in a very narrow field. And all I'm doing is turning it into a positive lesson plan to help you, like Mark Twain said, you might as well learn from the mistakes of others because you'll never live long enough to make them all yourself. So I'm trying to help you. I'm sharing with you a lifelong, a lifelong series of mistakes. I've just turned them into a positive lesson plan. But here's a lesson, for example. We started, Ameri when I left the limited, I left all that money there. God said, you can't do that. It's promiscuity, nudity, exploitation of women. You can't stay there. I said, surely we can work something out. And he said, no, you need to be. <laughs> so... I, le I left there, left the millions of dollars, multiplied millions there, and I was obedient, and I, but I started American Education Publishing. 
and we were in two years into it. We were about 10 million in sales. I hired two of the smartest guys. That's next box. Smartest guys I could find. And we got off and running. And I'll tell you the testimony a little bit later. But God, God rebuked me for that too. Just creating a, an Ishmael. He didn't tell me to do it. I was trying to make more money. Still motivated by that. So, but, I, but we needed money. And so we formed, and we didn't have enough to penetrate the marketing channels. So, uh, and I'll finish this story later because it makes a good point about the art of asking questions and what you have to think through as a leader, the two key things. But in this, in this particular case, God said, remember that? You got the money from those guys. Remember how they, they put in more money than you? Yeah. Remember how that whole thing got designed and constructed? Yes, sir. And he said, well, how did it work? I said, well, we had a general partnership, and we had a partnership, and they were the general partner. And he said, why were they general? Because they put in more money than we did. Well, we had no choice. If we were going to penetrate the marketing channels, we needed their money, and it was more than we had. So then we'd be relegated to the limited partner. So he said, yeah, okay, so yeah. And he said, and how did that, how did that literally work? They were the general, and you were the limited partner. Then how did that actually work? Well, we, had, we ran the daily operation, but we had to go to them to get approval for any new ideas, anything we wanted to do out of the ordinary, we had to get their approval because they were the deep pockets and they put up the most money and they made the greatest investment. He said, that's my point. He said, now let's relate that to our relationship. Let's relate this same thing, that partnership. Aren't we in a partnership? I said, yes, sir, we are. He said, well, and who's the general? Well, you, <laughs> you are, sir. And, and who, who's limited? Uh, I am. He said, yeah, you really are. You're totally limited without me. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, that hurt. And he said, you are totally limited. I put up everything, and you put up zip. And here's what you're pulling on me. You're going around doing stuff and coming up with ideas, and you're asking me to bless them. And he said, it doesn't work that way in our partnership, bud. That's when you know he's serious, when he calls you bud, and your name's Dr. Radke. You know. <laughs> so he said, that, that's not the way it works here, bud. He said, I tell you what I want done, and then I'll bless you to do it. And you need to be talking to me, and you need to be intimate with me, and you need to stop running all over the place doing your own thing. Apply that wherever that fits for all of you. Some big time, some, he's the general, we're the limited. You got to get rid of the clutter, guys. The micro, the macro, the disaster that they talk to you about, you've got to learn to turn it off. You've got to have noise-canceling capabilities. Noise-canceling capabilities. You've got to get the clutter out. You've got to learn to protect your own anointing. You have to learn to protect your own anointing. Get the clutter out. Cut out the micro, the minutia, the chaos, and the crisis. And learn to protect yourself. And teach others how to protect themselves as leaders. So the clutter, the micro, the minutia, the macro, the, the chaos, the problems, and get intimate with God. You can't sacrifice on intimacy with God. I think we massaged that enough. I think I made my point. Let's look at point number two. Major mistakes are made when you're at a position. When you're at a position... Major mistakes are made, and major opportunities are missed. Major opportunities are missed. So these are all presented in the negative here. I'm trying to, I'm trying to 
etch this more impactfully into your spirit. I could present this in the positive. If you were staying over here, then these are all the good things. But I'm presenting it in the negative because I want you to make the change. I want you to get sick and tired of being sick and tired and make a change. So intimacy with God, then major mistakes are made and major opportunities are missed. And you say, well, not at our place. You know, we haven't made a mistake in decades. No, I'll tell you one that everybody in this nation is making, and everybody in this room is making. God sends people to your door. He sends people to the door of your ministry, and he expects us to what? Assimilate them in, keep them, disciple them, restore them. You say, well, no, we pass out tracts. No, but the Holy Spirit is bringing them to the door of your ministry, okay? So for every, for all the people that God sends to the door of your ministry and the, or the door of the average ministry in this nation, the average ministry keeps 10 to 15% of those that God sends. I don't know what it is for other nations here. They're working on getting those statistics for me. But 10 to 15%. So for everybody God sends, we keep 10 to 15% of the ones he sends. Assimilation, discipleship, or restoration, whatever you want to call it. I call that the great omission. It's not the great commission, right? Reach them and then disciple them and teach them in the, <clears throat> in the way that they should go. It's, it's not that. It's the great omission. It's an 85 to 90% disaster. Now, here's a bigger problem. Here's a bigger disaster than that. The biggest disaster is that in the 12 years that I've been training pastors all over the world with groups like this and working with clients one-on-one, -on -one, in 12 years, I've not had one pastor who could tell me what that fact is for their ministry. They don't know. Oh, they know once they've come to the training and they go back and scratch and sniff and come, come up with it. And don't be like some. It takes, you know, we can't, we can't get that number. What do you mean you can't get that number when I come back the next month? What do you mean you can't get that number? Well, see, we don't, we're not really sure how many did come. What do you mean? Well, the ushers, you know, they, they count differently. I said, what? What happened to one, two, three, four? What do they count differently? And then, oh, yeah, and then we, got, we, got, we almost got the number, but then the guy sent it to the cleaners in his pants, you know, and we lost a month. Yeah, oh, brother. So, but that's a fact. That's a fact, and we don't know it. So I, that's just one illustration. But if we don't have the facts in our ministry, we're not going anywhere because it starts with the facts. That's the knowledge. That's the knowledge that we need to get the pleasant and precious riches. So it's the start of it, but we don't even know that. Now, we don't know. And you say, well, I'm sure we're better than that. Well, let's say you're three times the high end of the national average. You're less than 50%. You're keeping less than 50% of the people that God's sending. Disaster. We don't. We, and there's uh, later. We'll talk. We'll look at all the other facts that we don't know. You have to get the facts. You can't set goals. 
You can't have benchmark information to know where to lead the ministry and go into the future without the facts. Any business can give you the facts. Can you imagine if uh, this was a, this was a uh, CEO a board meeting? You're, you're investors in this company, then I'm the CEO up here, and I'm, I'm up here telling you, uh, you know, I'm pontificating about how uh, wonderful we are. So let's play a little, let's do a little analogy here. Here's the company here, and I'm up here telling you, the shareholders, about uh, how, how uh, big our buildings are. We've got a beautiful, bu a bunch of buildings, you know, they're really nice. And you're sitting there thinking, what? I invested a lot of money in this company. Do, you know, are the, I'm, I'm happy that they have a nice building, but are they, you know, what's the profitability here for me? You know, what's the return on my investment, right? Isn't that what you would be doing sitting in the shareholders meeting? Okay. And then I'm telling you, and then I tell you, we shipped billions of products this year. And you're thinking, at, at a, a, a gain per unit or at a loss per unit? Did you lose billions or gain billions? It doesn't tell you anything. Shipped billions. And then, uh, oh, and we were one of the most popular commercials on the Super Bowl. And you're thinking, I hope they didn't spend three million bucks for 30 seconds and not get me some profitability with that investment I made with this guy. And then, or you're sitting there and saying, you know, that guy is so charismatic. I just, I just love the way he speaks. And so I'm just going to keep investing, you know. I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what they made this year. I don't know, we, maybe, we, maybe they're tanking. I don't know, but I sure like that guy. He's so charismatic. And he just is just so endearing, so I'm going to, no, you wouldn't be, do, you would be so frustrated that finally, sister, you would be raising your hand back there, trying to flag me down. Did you make any money this year? And can you imagine if I was up here, and I, and I responded like this? Oh, well, listen, we really love you guys. We love you guys. We, we work 24-7. We, we've got people abused in the back. I mean, we've got people piled up. We... We've got people piled up like cordwood back there. They're just totally fried, you know. We work them to death around here. We abuse them and we, because we love you and we work incessantly here. That's what we do. And you, yeah, but did you make any money? Hey, guys, anybody know? <laughs> did we, did, how do we do? Did we make, I mean, wouldn't that be, you'd, you'd be calling your broker right now. Get out, pull, get out of that stock. The guy didn't even know where they stand. You would be. So that's understandable when it comes to that situation, but let's make it understandable for ministry. We've got to know where we stand. What's the bottom line? What are we doing here? What are the key indicators so we can build the ministry from this point on to success? This is an 85 to 90% opportunity. Done right. And, if, and, and that's the way we have to look at this. This is an issue. This is a fact, represented an issue. Now we have to apply common sense to it and turn it into an opportunity and reinvent our ministry. I'm going to teach you how to do that. We've got a long way to go here. I'm not skipping over these panels. We're coming back. But I'll talk to you about it, the opportunity that it presents to you if we know how to capitalize on the opportunity. One of the problems that we have is that this is your brand. This is the person that you're supposed to be touching and changing. This is the, the very thing that, that was just shared. Th this, this is where your heart is, to touch this person, to create into this person something of value to God, based on what God told you he wants in every person that comes through the door. Well, we have to know what that is. That's your brand. That's who you are. 
And if we are not keeping people, one of the factors is what are we telling them that we're going to do for them? What are we offering them? What's the consumer benefit of being in our ministry? Now, Procter & Gamble coined the term the USP, the unique, unique selling proposition. That's what makes each of their products unique and different, and different from the competition. A unique selling proposition. And so they're, they're the master branding company, Procter & Gamble, guys that want to learn how to brand products and develop products and mark, be marketing. They go to Procter & Gamble out of college or out of when they get their MBA to learn how to brand. And they, like I said, the, the phrase is unique selling proposition. What's your unique selling proposition? What are we telling people we're going to do for them? They're coming to get help. This is a spiritual hospital, and we're keeping only 10 to 15% of the wounded and the hurting. I mean, think of it. You go to the emergent care here in Clemens or the Winston General or whatever it is, and you go in there, and you've you got an accident, you're holding the goods in, bleeding profusely, and they tell you, well, we met the 10 to 15 quota this year. You know, you have to go somewhere else. That's what we're doing to God's people. We're not keeping them. But we're, we don't even know what it, we can't even tell them what it is we're providing for them in so many cases, to, and to the extent that you must. So this is your brand. It's just like you say, well, we're all churches. What, what are you talking about? We're all churches. We're, you know, we all do the same thing. No, we're not. We don't all have, all have the same mission, all the same vision, all the same mandates. We're all unique. So what's unique about us? Why should they come here versus over there? We, and we have, to, we have to be able to communicate that. I remember I was in a church many years ago in California. It was a Wednesday night service. The place was packed out. They had an altar call. I had been doing a training there. And here were all the people that came down for salvation. And the pastor stepped down off of here, and he said, Now, if you'll give me a year of your life, these are the things that I'll put in your life. And boom, 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 boom. He ticked them right off. This is what we'll do for you. Consumer benefit. But we're not all... We're not all just churches. It's no different than if you get down there to the CVS and you got a soap counter, the soap rack or aisle from here to Pastor Whitfield, and here's a soap rack from here over to there. You know, 30, 40 feet long. They're all soaps, but they're all different. The first soaps, the first soaps are biodegradable, okay? So they're green, you know. They, they assimilate into someplace somehow and don't cause problems. Okay, the next ones are hypoallergenic. Hyperallergenic, and that means they, they don't you use them and you don't break out. And the next ones are uh, the uh, deep cleansing, okay? And then the next ones are the really, you know, the big uglies, you know, the ones that hurt when you use them. That, 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 that's the next one. And then the last ones do absolutely nothing. They just have a swan and it looks pretty in the guest bathroom. But they're all soaps. <laughs> they're all soaps. What are, what are you? What's your unique selling proposition? And if we can't tell them that, how are they going to make a decision to stay? What's your brand? What, is, what are you going to put? I mean, you're not put, you don't have to put it on the billboard out there, but what's your brand? What, do you, what would you put on the billboard? Or certainly, what are you going to tell people when they darken your door that you'll do for them? What is that? And we need to, we need to get creative. We need to be innovative. We need to figure out how are we going to best communicate that because they're searching. They're looking for answers. They want to know, what can you do for me? They're making that decision. And it's our opportunity to show and tell. It's a 10 to 15% problem and 85 to 90% opportunity lost.
if we're not working on it. If we're not, we don't know that fact, we're not working on it. Oh, we're telling, you know, the, the greeters, you know, come on, guys, greet, you know, stop saying it's hot out, isn't it? You know, do something more than that. And then the ushers, you know, we tell them, you know, stop acting like the Gestapo and, you know, be friendly with people and, and make them ingratiate them, you know. Do, but we're not, we're not developing a plan to change 15 into 30 this year because we don't even know what that fact is. So you couldn't even set a goal. You could, you're not working on it. And we're just circling the drain. We're just circling the drain, year in and year out. Or you're setting up the deck chairs on the Titanic. Setting up the deck chairs on the Titanic. The ship's going down and you're setting up for the sunbathers because you don't have a clue what's going on. Look, I'm the same, I know that's tough, and I'm the same guy who loved you a couple hours ago, okay? But I'm being honest with you. Without evaluation, without knowing the facts, it starts with the facts. But 85 to 90% opportunity, if we were looking at that, you can go on the website, you can find out what, see, God wouldn't ask you to do something without providing. And what is it you tell people all the time when you talk to your peers or or when you talk to your spouse, or when, whenever you talk about it, what are your two biggest complaints? We don't have enough money, and we don't have enough people, right? Those are the two biggies. It's not God's fault. He's been providing for years. He's been providing for decades, and we're, keeping, we're squandering his provision. We're squandering 85 to 95% or 90% of his provision because we're not keeping his provision. He's been sending provision in the form of people that could be trained to become leaders who could be part of the giving process so we can build. We're always behind the curve in ministry. You know, if you're out there in the secular world and you have a vision, you finance it through selling stock, having an initial public offering. But in ministry, we rely on the people God sends to build our ministries, to expand the sanctuary, to build the youth and all, all the children's department, all those things. So we, we would look at this and, and go on the website and do the math. There's eight steps, and you'll find what you'll find out, depending on your demographics, some of you are in the hood, in the inner city, it'll be, the demographics will be different than the guys who are, most of their churches from the gated communities. They, they, they would vary, but let's just say it's a $4,000 is your average giving unit. You calculate what that is, you know, you do the math, the num the, uh, the year, a year of tithes and offerings, and then divide it by the number of givers, 2.6 family units giving, and you just work through the process on the internet, and you can, you can find out what your, but in the average ministry is losing somewhere between a third and two-thirds of their annual tithes and offerings because of this. A third to two-thirds of your annual, so if you're a million dollars, if you're a $100,000 ministry and you're getting going, then you're losing thirty-three dollars to $66,000 every year of God's provision. If you're a million dollars, you're losing three hundred and thirty dollars to six hundred and sixty-six, and you can just take the numbers as they apply to your ministry because we're squandering God's provision. But we're not even aware of it. And it's the most important thing we do, the great commission, Matthew 28, which we're calling here for this illustration the great omission. So... If we were a secular company and we're a group of us on a team here and we were looking at a ministry problem, so stretch your imagination a little bit, but we were looking at this thing, we would say, wow, what an opportunity. I mean, this thing, this is virgin territory. Man, we can turn profitability here like that. We just need some ideas. We gotta, let's hire somebody, 
That's what we would say because got, they got money out there. We don't because we don't keep God's provision. But they would say, let's hire somebody for 40 grand and tell them to keep 10 giving units and they'll pay for their salary. And then after, that, after another year, they'll be, we'll be in the black. We'll be ahead of the curve. Or let's hire two people for 80 grand. Well, you're not in a position to do that because we don't have, we're, not, we're squandering his provision. Many, some of you are, but, uh, and, and some of the ones that have spoken are. But we, we can't just run out and hire somebody. But surely, if you were aware of this fact, you would be putting your top people on this thing. You would be putting your top people on this thing and, and tell them, let's make a difference here. Let's have a plan. Let's build a team and let's fix this problem. And that's what we're going to have to learn how to do. But God is holding you accountable for what are you doing with the people that he sends you to. Some of you are in very favored positions. You, you have drive-by visibility on the interstate. Some of you are in a very uh, in a demographically lucrative community. And uh, you have large givers and professional people when they come and serve in the ministry. Why, they can help you do a lot. Whereas some of you are in a factory town where a lot of the people don't know how to be leaders yet and professional. And you, and you have challenges like that. Some are are in the hood where the leadership team's been on drugs and dealing drugs, and now they're born again and saved, and it's a slower process. But we, but we got to get started. we got to get started. And so, you know, we would be looking to put our top people on the highest priority. But God, wherever you're placed, whether it's in it, that one of, those, uh, one of those areas I just described or one of the other areas I just described, all God is holding you accountable for is what are you doing with the people that I send? What are you doing with the people that I send? Leadership is directing constructive change toward God's desired future. Not your desired future. Not some department head's desired future. God's desired future. 